Welcome to the Championship Club Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Casey, and co-hosting with me is a man with over 300 Championship Rugby appearances. It's Ben Gulliver. Be sure to check us out on social media at Champ Clubs Pod on Instagram and Twitter, and head to YouTube to like and subscribe to the channel. Before we kick off today's episode, I'd like to say a big thank you to our brand new and shiny sponsor, Trojan Engineering Fabrication, part of the MFH Group, and you can check them out at mfhire.co.uk. We are back. This is the Championship Club podcast supported by Trojan Engineering and Fabrication. And uh, we're here to review another eventful round of fixtures. I'm joined by Ben Gulliver. Gully, uh, looking at the results from this weekend, there was a, a couple I think I maybe wouldn't have predicted. Um, I know you're going to run us through them, but the games, particularly on Saturday, I thought Amtel versus Jersey and Coventry versus Pirates. I, I'm not quite sure I saw those uh, going with the away sides as they did. Yeah, fully agree. I had them both down for home wins, and especially after Amtel's uh, big win the week before. And I think we also mentioned that Jersey's season had kind of started having the home fans in the week before. So um, a cracking result for Jersey on the road. Um, like I said, I think their season's fully started now. It's going to be a shame when it ends for them because they seem to be hitting their straps, which is good for Jersey because obviously they're in a little bit of pressure. Uh, and then the Cough Pirates result, that was, a, that was that was in the balance before the game. And I thought um, I thought Pirates really dug in deep there. They, had, they brought a few loanies in um, and I think they've, they've performed really well for them. So I think that relieves a bit of pressure down there um, because obviously they, their season had started so well. And then moving sort of after a couple of losses um, to get a win on the road at Coventry. Pirates always struggle at Cough. They always have. Um, and it's a, it's a cracking result for them. So uh, really pleased for those guys. Disappointed for Cough, but Cough will, will bounce back. Uh, young, young squad, as we said before, and they, they, they'll have the week off and dust themselves off and go again. Uh, and then obviously there's the the, the two big the two big results uh, in terms of score where the uh, Ealing Ealing really uh, absolutely destroyed Rich, Richmond um, by 69 points. So that's a hell of a result for Ealing. They're they're back they're back on hitting their straps again, which is great for Ealing. Richmond obviously need to dust themselves off um, and go again, and then. The Nottingham Saris game, which is the game I watched, um, I really enjoyed it. The 56 0 scoreline is a little bit deceiving. Um, it surprised um, me how well Nottingham did did early on in the first half, and the, the young nine that was playing from young Dolly, he, he had a really good game. And although they, it looks pretty bad on the scoreline, I thought he he did really well in, in, in difficult circumstances. But obviously Saris have got a lot, a lot of firepower and a bit too much class for them in the end. So. Pretty, uh, pretty good, pretty good day Saturday, and then obviously there's the, the Sunday fixture which which you were at with uh, with Donny and Bedford, which was a bit of a humdinger by all accounts. Yeah, yeah, really interesting game up here at Castle Park. I think uh, the lads back here won't mind me saying that the first twenty minutes or so, uh, Bedford so completely. Uh, bullied uh, the Knights in many respects. I thought that the way they took the ball into contact, the, uh, the just the ferocity of the of, of the carrying game was uh, a bit of a maybe a little bit of a shot to the system. Who for the Knights who have been I think pretty physical and got a bit of a reputation of defending very hard and being physical around the around the set piece. Um, Twelve nil down after about fifteen minutes gone, and then really really up against it. Uh, got a try just before half time. The Knights, Matt Challoner. Going over, uh, following a couple of uh, close tap penalties, as he has done so many times for the club, which kind of made it probably closer than it deserved to be at, at the change of ends. I think it was, I think it was nineteen twelve at half time, and then fifteen unanswered points from the Knights in the second half. Maybe just a bit more coming off the bench uh, for Donny than uh, than what Bedford had. Yep. But fair play, they also stuck to the systems very well. Um, and uh, yeah, I think there'll be a few saying that this, they did well to get sort of a five point win and Bedford may be a little bit unlucky to go away with nothing but it kind of leaves us now going into the last two games of the season with everything to play for so up here at Castle Park it's uh, quite exciting I think 
as well is that the pressure was on Donny for the first time this season to go and get a result after what had happened on Saturday, you know, with, with a score within the league and the points now getting closer with the second, third spot. So for them to, to go and get a five-point win, uh, albeit a difficult win, is, is a good statement of intent for Donny to keep the pressure on the, the big players in the league. And it just, just keeps the season alive now. So there's obviously there's two games left for Donny. We've got Ealing in because uh, of the bye week now. And then Donny have got their week off. Then it's Ealing on the 22nd of May and then finish with fans back in for Nottingham. So just have at it for the last two. Yeah. Superb. Cool. Anyway, so uh, I'm glad to say it's not just me and you here on the show today. And uh, whilst <laughs> we're, we're sat up here in the, in Yorkshire and, uh, and in Devon, respectively, we're uh, sat sort of uh, admiring a bit of sunshine here. We're joined by uh, a man who's a record appearance holder for Yorkshire Carnegie, also part of the side that brought Coventry back into lead. Phil Nilsson joins us from Gibraltar. Phil, it's great to have you on the show. Good to be here, mate. Thank you very much. Hey Phil, how you going, mate? And weather looks looks fantastic. So just uh, <laughs> obviously aware of um, your move to Gibraltar, but um, just just talk us through a little bit about sort of how that came about. You sort of you, I think you've timed it pretty well with what Corona's with Corona and everything, and leaving Coventry. I just wondered, sort of how 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 is it all planned out, and you know how, how are things over in Jib at the moment, mate? Um, yeah, mate. Well, it, it was sort of obviously my last year at Coventry was coming towards my last year of my contract um so uh long story short my wife obviously my wife got offered a job over here um right. early september and we decided obviously the kids were still young we decided to just work in a, in a good opportunity a good timing to obviously work towards retirement and move over here so initially it was her job that brought us here um and obviously it's been it's been a rocky sort of last 18 months um over this sort of way and um i'm glad to say we really enjoy it obviously the lifestyle is fantastic with the weather the beaches um things like that but um it's not come out of its sort of the issues in particular for me for retirement um, but obviously the pandemic and stuff has, has added to that and now it's things are starting to move nicely you know we've only got um, I think yesterday they reported three active cases of COVID and they were all visitors and that's normally the guys on the cruise ship so there's pretty much no active cases here everyone's been vaccinated and life I mean I'm sat in town now mate and everyone is moving around freely no mask um, no restrictions no no nothing mate so it's, it's pretty nice now to be fair and, and in terms of um, sort of moving over there, did you did you have a, a line a role lined up with with Gibraltar with the rugby set up out there, or was it just no just get, out, get out there and see, see how we go? Yeah, no, not really. Well, no, I had nothing lined up out here really, so I wasn't really planning on retiring. So obviously moving abroad, um, and initially we moved to the south of Spain, um, just because obviously we, we come over with three kids and a two dogs, it was a bit of an easier location to move to. Um, and I basically come over here with with nothing really in mind, and I always thought you know. There's lots of international schools out here. Can maybe I've got a degree in sports science. Can maybe work towards getting into the schools, coaching some rugby there, and seeing what the rugby's like. But Gibraltar rugby at the time, um, you know, they were they were working towards applying for world rugby and, and getting that sort of recognition in, in, uh, with uh, European rugby there. Um, so there wasn't really an opportunity here for me at the time, and um, I ended up at a local club over in Super Grande called Rugby Del Centro, which I've ended up directing of rugby there um, for the past couple of years, which has been good. Um, we got them promoted in the first year, which is fantastic. So, and obviously this year has kind of been for the rugby side, it's kind of been a throwaway year, but it's what it's done actually. It's opened up opportunities for me within Gibraltar because, along with Brexit and the pandemic, we moved actually into Gibraltar itself, um, and being here and being resident here now and things like that, it, it opens up more doors. So. Um, I'm on board now with Jib as a consultancy, which we're looking to extend, and um, it's going really well mate, at the moment. I'm not going to lie, I'm enjoying it. Oh, sounds, sounds fantastic, and a bit, a bit of like flying by the seat of your pants a little bit to start with. But it sounds, sounds like you've got 
got a good role. So how how's like the, how does the, the days work for you? Because I I have got some experience of Gibraltar through a friend of mine, yeah. from Oliver, who works who works yeah. sort of uh, within the community side over there. I just yeah. wondered, is it you know, how how, is, how does it all work? And where do your players come from? Are they are they Spanish? Are they are they expat? Like, what, no, what's, what's... A, a bit of a mix, really. So basically, look, my role here is a bit of a I've got a bit of a do all sort. So I work in the community in the schools throughout the day promoting obviously the rugby here in the community. Um, yeah. And then I also do, at the moment, um, I've got a lot on with uh, event planning. So we're planning um, the Gibraltar Sevens, which is obviously a new tournament we're doing um, for the end of June, which has been an experience for me and obviously quite a battle with the COVID sort of restrictions and things like that. But that's moving forward really nicely now. Um, and then other stuff to do, I do sort of individual player development, club development, um, sort of the higher performance stuff. Um, and here now, we're obviously with, with the application to European rugby, the, the Gibraltar rugby itself is growing, so we've got over 200 kids in the youth section. Uh, we've got four teams now turning out every weekend playing for the for the seniors, um, and then we've. Uh we're looking to develop things like the an academy and a development squad and we've got the women's that have started and they've created a team now so we've got the women's going so there's quite a lot on here rugby wise to keep us going um, and it's all sort of started in the last six weeks since we've rolled out of lockdown rolled out of the, the sort of the restrictions that we had in place so it's been a hectic last sort of six to eight weeks to be honest yeah sounds that's pretty sounds exciting though mate. sounds something like you take your teeth into Especially, we just we just talk about the little seven sevens tournament. Like where where are you um, where are you drawing teams from for that? And you, know, you can obviously give it a bit of a plug on here, mate. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, mate. I appreciate. It. So basically, we're looking to draw teams from all over the world. So overseas, because obviously we're we're hoping um, in the next couple of days to put on the green zone, travel back on, right. uh, from the UK. So we just they just announced today that. You can travel into Gibraltar with no COVID tests to get in, which is great. Um, so that opens up doors. Um, and then we're looking at local teams as well and, and local Spanish teams from around the south of Spain. So it's been um, it's been a good experience, mate. And that's, you know, we're looking at a 16-team tournament, eight men's, eight female sides and six bet sides as well. So um, we've only got one pitch up there, so it'll be a full schedule jam-packed in two days. Um, we're looking at off-field entertainment, trying to get sort of the festival vibe as well going for the local people because the local community is great. They invest into everything. They love the sport um, and it's, a, it's an awesome place mate and down at Europa Point where the stadium is located it's overseeing yeah. you know the streets of Rolla mate it's absolutely beautiful so it's it's a, it's a lovely place to be well, what's the best way so for people so what are the dates yeah <laughs> beat me to it <laughs> okay, so what are the dates and when can you book me on a flight <laughs> so mate the dates are the the weekend of the 18th 19th and 20th of June um so we're, we're proposing at the moment opening sort of welcome party on the Friday, um, rugby Saturday, sort of a, a DJ party on Saturday night, and then uh, finals on the Sunday with um, sort of a chilled afternoon down at the beach with um, a local company into into adventures that I'm going to sponsor us to do paddleboarding, volleyball, beach game experience and stuff like that. So it should be nice, mate. If it, if, it, if we get if it all goes to plan, it should be really good. Nice, mate. It sounds really exciting. So uh, yeah, Phil. Just uh, obviously, it looks now. Whilst it's been obviously a challenging sort of uh, period with the transition, were you sort of planning to go into coaching roles towards the back end of your playing career back in England? Has this always been part of the plan? No, coaching was a failsafe. So I've coached my whole sort of since I was about 22, 23. Um, and it was always sort of a failsafe for me. I'll be honest with you, I wasn't really prepared for retiring at all, whether it be um, job-wise or even mentally. I wasn't prepared at all. Sort of going away from, I mean, that's all I've known since I left school, being in a professional environment. Because So I went to, a, I was looking to go to a private school to play there, which is a professional environment. Then I was at Leeds in the RFU Academy. 
and I just went all the way through. So I'll be honest, leaving it was a, a big shock. It didn't really hit me at first because obviously you get the, the new bit of new country, new environment, new people. It was fantastic. But obviously, I think everything I went through was kind of enhanced more by the pandemic um, in just trying to find, right, where do I go from here? Um, obviously, this, the rugby wasn't being played. I couldn't I couldn't find a job doing that. My, my sort of CV-wise, although I've got a decent CV, it's all sport and rugby-based. So it's very limited. And obviously, pandemic, everyone's struggling. Uh, everyone's struggling for money. Everyone's struggling for jobs themselves. So it was a tough period, mate. But as I say, um, coming into Jib has, has helped. Um, the guys here are fantastic. It's, a, it's quite a small community, but everyone's willing to chip in and help out. And rugby is rugby wherever you go, mate. Rugby, rugby values and atmosphere have been made the same all over the world, which has been fantastic. So I've met a few good mates here that have, that have helped me out. So it's it's moving forward nice to know, mate. And, and I'm looking positive now towards the future. So. Yeah. Mate, when that when that rug gets pulled from under you, it's, it's a difficult one to, to, to deal with, isn't it? I remember when, when it happened, my end, I thought I thought I had another year, and then it, then I didn't, and then it's like you kind of in your head you've got it planned, haven't you? But then when it actually happens, it's uh, it's a difficult pill to swallow, and it's it's something we all talk about. I always speak to people, but as an individual, it's it is a, is a tricky one to understand, and it's it's an individual process you have to go through to come out the other end, isn't it? Mate, it really is. And I mean, when you retired, I read sort of the blogs and that you wrote and I, I kind of resonated a little bit with it. But until you actually go through it yourself, you, you, you can't, everyone's experience stuff is different. And some guys are lucky. They've, they've, I mean, it wasn't that I didn't prepare myself. It's just, I probably prepare myself for the wrong things. Um, yeah. And I look back, yeah, yeah. I look back now and I think, yeah, I look back now and I think, should I have done a trade instead of, you know, doing this or should I, instead of doing the coaching and stuff and should I have got myself back to university and got some another degree or something more usable than sport and exercise science because although it's a degree, it's not really functional in the real world. So that's yeah. what I kind of look back on and think should have prepared myself differently, which now as an older bloke, it's easy. I sound like my dad, you know, you've got to think to the for the future. And I'd say to any, I'd say to any of the kids, like I was lucky I was never injured, but if someone like you gets cut short of injury, like where are you? Are you prepared? Have you got stuff in place? Have you got finances in place? Because I'm really lucky. My wife's a doctor, so she can work all over the world, and her job's always employed. So you know, some other people won't be as lucky as that. So it's been it's been an eye opener, mate, a real big eye opener. You said there, like, if you had your time again, yeah, would I, you... I sort of gone back. <laughs> you said then, like, obviously, if you had your time again, would he have got a trade? Would he have done something? Do you think if you were talking to say a young pro? whether it's at Carnegie or Coventry where now you'd maybe encourage them that, you know, on those Wednesdays off on those Tuesday afternoons, maybe do look at some extra education or some work experience as well. hundred percent, mate. hundred percent. Because you think at the time, like you've, you've got all the time in the world, but really you haven't. And then, you know, next week, next week, next week, or next year just keeps going on. But it's so easy, mate. In the rugby environment, will it tell me when you're in there and you're in with 50 lads every day doing what you love, like sometimes it is shit with the, with the wet weather and stuff, but like it's, it's an easy environment to stick to because it's what you're good at. It's what you know, but going out of your comfort zone and, and doing Doing things, mate, is the hardest thing. And I would definitely advise some of the younger lads, like, think career after rugby whilst you're doing it because it'll only age you and it'll aid your decisions through rugby and it'll give you more opportunities and I mean Gully will tell you mate sometimes you get rinsed for contracts and people put you under pressure and if you've got another exit it gives you another options and it gives you you know more negotiating power when it comes to things like rugby contracts and things like playing contracts and stuff like that it's just I would definitely look back now and say you know go and prepare myself a little bit more for what comes after or what if I, I think if I if I was to give myself a bit of advice and it'd have been difficult to give a 20 late 20 year old Van Gulliver advice because he was a bit of a ballet, but uh, <laughs> but it is, is to try things. It was it was it is, <laughs> but it's it's try different things. I thought I knew, but I didn't try it. So it's it's like like you say, go out go out your comfort zone, but actually try different different options, different trades. Because you know you might you might think you want to do something when you get there, you don't enjoy it. Um, so 
It's just trying to, I think if anyone that's listening in, in those in that state, even sort of early 30s, you could be ends near. Try different things. There's opportunities out there. People, the rugby network's great for that. They will support you and will help you. And then, then you can make, you can make your choices from, from a place of experience rather than a place of, of chance. And I think that's sort of a, a real a real good bit of advice I'd, I'd have given myself, but also to anyone that's uh, uh, listening to this. 100% mate, completely agree with you. Completely agree with you. Yeah. I was going to say, on, just having <laughs> talked to sort of a couple of guys that have recently retired, you'll, you'll always come across some that have mapped out for a long time and fair play to them. But then there's sort of always others that you've got yourself thrust into a situation whether retirement's been put upon you through through a situation like um, what, you, what you've discussed there, Phil, or whether it has been through injury. And you almost then are forced to adapt or die. Like you said, the situation at Gibraltar wasn't planned, but then you get met with circumstances and you've got to do the best with what you can. And hopefully it turns out, but... I guess if you are able to sort of weatherproof against that and have a few more years up towards the end of your career, planning for something a little bit long-term, like you say, it just gives you that bit more adaptability. And if you are negotiating tight contracts towards the back end of your career, it maybe gives you, say, a little bit more artillery to say, well, do you know what? I don't have to take that because I have, I've, I've kind of lined up something else elsewhere. Mate, it really is. The rugs will be pulled out from my feet fast. Yeah, sorry. The rugs will be pulled out from my feet fast. Um, so, mate, it's... it's Sorry, mate, I've got, I was going to say, mate, I, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I something I'm quite passionate about, and it's something you'll, you'll know, Phil, is that something where the championship is a great league, but something that it, it does lack is that that level of support for, for that. So your RPA looks after, obviously, the Prem guys and the 13th team. And there is an alumni for if you've been in the Prem for a year with the RPA. And they've been quite helpful for me at times, but... It's a definite gap for current champ players and uh, that level of support and that um, that sort of player welfare, player support is, is definitely lacking within the league. And I think there is, there's, there's probably a bit of scope to for former players like like yourself or, or others that we could potentially help these these current players that were transitioning out and just a bit of advice, just a bit of a thinking group really for guys in the champ because it's completely different to, to the, the Prem because of the level of money in it. Completely different. I mean, I was looking up to play from years in the Prem and support from the RPA and it's all there, but when you're in the champ, mate, you're on your own. Like, you're literally on your own and, and a lot of the boys that I spoke to went after a left through the pandemic, you know, taking pay cuts to force to give up your time and go find jobs elsewhere because they're not being offered it's not anyone's fault, but the money's not there. The support network's not there. It's not great. Do you know what I mean? So it's not like the Prem where you're being paid 100 bags a year. You're, you're in the champ grinding away for 12, 15k a year. People think it's all sunshine and roses. And I was lucky because I was always did all right out of it. But I look at some guys. I mean, I remember times where I'm looking at negotiating contracts for 12, 10. I mean, I remember when I phone, I had a chat with Rotherham and they, were, they could only offer me like 10 grand for a year full time. I said, mate, there's... I've got two kids and and houses and there's no way I can't I can function on that like what you're supposed to do so it's yeah. definitely things you've got to look at in the future definitely so you talked there Phil of course you have uh, spent three seasons in the Premiership they were with Yorkshire Carnegie since I mean with hindsight you might say the time that you left Headingley was uh, was was well timed with what what's happened there since um, looking at sort of um, obviously Carnegie will I think they changed the name back to these tights now will compete in next year's National One but it's been a little bit of a fall from grace from the side that you would have known and come through the academy under Stuart Lancaster. Yeah, mate. Um, it was a shame, really. Um, I mean, I was privy to some stuff that was going on because the year I left it was my testimonial year. So 
it wasn't a great situation, mate. And, and for me, the reason why I left was it was a club that had lost its ambition. They were trying to survive and they were trying to do this. And it just some things that went on never sat on me right. And the girl will tell you, mate, when I went to Cov, um, you know, Roland Winter was great. And he asked me, why do you want to come? I said, I just want to go and play somewhere. with ambition who, who buys into you and what you're about. And it, it's sad seeing what's happened to Leeds, but I'm glad Phil's back there. If anyone can sort it out there, it'd be Phil. Um, there is a, a good support base there. It just needs it just needs nurturing right and regaining that sort of you know, going back to the grassroots and building it back up and, and going forward that way. Because when I was there, obviously, Lanny was in charge of the academy. We had a, we had an RFU goal standard academy, producing players left, right, and centre. They're playing a Heineken Cup rugby. It's just, it was a shame, mate. And I think it just shows the gap in sort of, I don't know whether it's Northern rugby because it sort of happened a little bit with Newcastle where they were up and down. Um, sales always managed to stay out of it. But it was just a bit of a shame, really, mate, with, with what happened. And I loved that place a bit. So I would never have left if it wasn't really for, you know, not agreeing with what was going on. I wanted to finish my career there. I wanted to be a one-club man. Whether that was right or wrong, I don't know, but I wanted to do that. And it never was, but moving to Cov, mate, it, it was an eye-opener for me and it, it rejuvenated me. It was, I loved it. I loved every minute of it. It was fantastic. So it was a decision that was really, really glad I made. Yeah. Yeah, just touching on the, on the Yorkshire thing, I've, I've been fortunate to be down Devon Cornwall and experienced... Pirates, uh, Albion, played at those two and obviously with the, one extra in the league. And the, the three teams in the league at the time, the, the games were mega, the, the crowds are awesome. Just um, it's something I'm not aware of. Obviously, I played at Donny, Rob and, and Leeds and it's, I used to hate going up there, not going to lie. Uh, I used to hate playing against you, Phil. But I uh, <laughs> just wondered if you could just sort of... Mate, I've, done I've done my job. I was good at making people <laughs> hate me. I've done my job. Hate <laughs> <laughs> playing against you, didn't hate you. Yeah. But um, <laughs> like what those derbies? Just talk about some of your your, fun, your fondest memories of like your, your big Yorkshire derbies, mate. Like what what sort of sticks out for you? I, I think Donny was always a big one. We always obviously had it with the Rob boys as well. But um, to me, Donny was the best one because I mean you mentioned Chow before. We had a lot of the ex Leeds lads at Doncaster, and um, it was good fun, mate. And I mean, I never really bought into the whole. Um, sort of, you know, derby things. I just, I took every game. It wasn't just, if someone was in front of me, I was going to try and hit them as hard as I possibly could. You know what I mean? That was just me. But, mate, it was, it definitely added to the fuel to the fire. And it was always, I mean, I remember 15 man scraps against Rob Room, same against Donny. You know, you're getting up, you're having fights, you're, you're turning around to the props next to say, right, stay after the scrum, mate, we're going off here because it, they're taking the mick. And that was back in the day, but you can't do that anymore. So the game's kind of changed as we got older, the game changed. But, you know, it was, it was good fun, mate. And I always loved it. And, you know, people hated sometimes going to Rob Room, got a change in the, in the in the changing rooms where they're possibly the portal cabins and stuff like that but I love all that I think it just adds to it I think it's just part yeah. of the atmosphere and stuff and you know I've, I've been to some Prem clubs where some of the changing facilities ain't just, <laughs> just as bad so um, you know it, it's sometimes you know it was people bought too much into it but I loved it like there was nothing better than going to Rob on a wet cold day or Donny um, and then also yeah. getting them back at Edinburgh because it was a completely different environment where we could literally just run the legs off them so it was nice it was good fun mate I enjoyed it and here at Newcastle as well when, when obviously they were there we had, we had some good one-offs with them because obviously it was a kind of clash at the top of you know premiership what the team wanted to get to the premiership who's going to do it and you know we had a bit of a, a good run with them in the playoffs and stuff where we beat them at home and went away there and lost in the playoffs and that so mate there were so many memories I can look back on where I think wow like even Doncaster they beat us in the playoffs and they went to the final it was just insane I remember going to Donny mate when they when they called out that thing where they were coming around the offside line blocking the nine kick without being offside I don't even know I still don't know what the ruling was I was like what is going on here like offside and the referees letting it play Madness, mate, and them. You know, you don't see that in the Premiership. You don't see that little little people trying to work the laws to their advantage and things like that. Because the champ rugby, mate, it's completely different to anything else. Completely different. I think the one thing that sort of in my time at Doncaster, obviously when I first arrived, we uh, we just got relegated into National One. 
and always kind of looked up to Carnegie and Roth, obviously Roth had a, a side that had been in the Premiership for a couple of years and they were challenging towards the top of the league through with Lee Blackett at the time. Carnegie were always seen to be the side that were sort of battling with the side that came down from the Prem, like you've referenced, the Newcastle playoff games. And then to fast forward sort of, you know, six, seven years and there only be the one side left in the uh, in the second flight and it to be done is, is, is a bit... You know, it's sad to see. In Yorkshire as a county, there's more rugby clubs in Yorkshire than Wales, someone told me. And yet to have just the one side professionally representing them and an RFU Academy, which you and plenty of other, you know, lads that have gone on to play Premiership and even International came through, is now in a very, very different different state. What what do you think about rugby union in the county, uh, in the Broadacres? I, honestly, I think, that, I think the biggest issue with rugby in Yorkshire is it's, it's, it's a great hotspot for talent. Um, but there's no real Yorkshire's massive as a county like it's huge um, and I think that sort of feeds into the struggles they have there and obviously in West Yorkshire it's all rugby league North Yorkshire is rugby union but North Yorkshire itself as a county as a, as a part of the county it's quite a big area it goes from like Harrogate to Scarborough it's quite big and then obviously it's very spaced out there's no real centre hotspot um, and I think Leeds obviously tried to, to get that link going with the name changes of Yorkshire and this that and the other and I think it rubbed people, some people the wrong way and I think the intention was always trying to create something great out of the county um, but it never really worked out and it's just I think it's it's sad that there's no top flight side in there because I think it's you look at everyone who plays in the Prem and, and the champ there's loads of lads from from the Yorkshire loads wherever they started up you know Lees Donny Rotherham wherever it is there's, there's loads that have gone onto it and there's loads that have come from different places and, and played you know a good bit of rugby in the in the Yorkshire and moved on to other places and succeeded so I think it's just I think it is um, I think it's difficult mate. I, I wouldn't really have an answer to it. My always idea was maybe, you know, up to York Way is a bit more central from North um, North Yorkshire, you know, West Yorkshire, South Yorkshire. But again, it's relocating and trying to generate a whole new team out of a big move. And it's, it costs money, mate. It's all about money. That at the end of the day, no matter where you are, what you're doing, what club you're at, it's all about the money available. Uh, unless, you're willing, unless you've got someone willing to fork into that, it's really hard to move things forward because... I think it's a shame the RFU have put the money to the champ. I think it's, I think it's ridiculous to be fair. Champ well, Premier clubs get what seven, eight mil. Champ clubs are getting two hundred fifty k, three hundred k. I think it's a joke. These boys work full time. Um, and I'll be honest, with you, I'm glad I'm out of it now because I think it's going. I think the champ. I'm not understanding it, but I think the support for it is going down in terms from the RFU. I think that really needs to be looked at. But like what Gully was saying about supporting the kids getting some structure in there for education and things like that. I think the tramp really needs to be supported properly because, mate, it's a feeding ground. It's an absolute feeding ground. And everyone says it, everyone can see it with the numbers of players that have played in the champ and going to Prem or International. Um, and that's, that's probably my little rant, mate. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I, I, I feel like I think that was a, a brilliantly nicely summarised sort of synopsis on, on the yeah, county. I mean, it's been, I'll be honest, it was tough for me as a player because you've got to toe the line as a player. You've got to sometimes, I, always, I was a player that in the media I toed the line. But I'm not a player anymore. I can I can say what I want about it, and I think it's I think it I think it needs to be looked at. I think there's a lot of things gone wrong in it, um, and I think it's a shame. I think it'd be a real good development, a way of developing players moving forward. Um, and something needs to be done because, you know, hearing lads. I know it was a pandemic and stuff, and people lost money. But hearing lads, you know, having cut full-time contracts and the bat living with a mum and dad at 25, 27 years old because they've got nowhere to go and nothing to do is it's sad, mate. It's really sad. Well, Phil, I think uh, I completely agree. Yeah, smash that. Phil, um, before we go, it's uh, fantastic to see that things have worked out uh, for you in Gibraltar. Just one more time then, Gibraltar 7s 
18th to the 20th of June. And if people want to get and learn a bit more information about that, where should they head? Yeah, so we've got Instagram pages at Gibraltar Sevens, same on Facebook and same on Twitter. Go to there. We've literally just started social media pages um, back end of last week. So we're looking to get loads of content out of there. Anyone sees it, please retweet it, share it. It's just trying to get people playing rugby again. Everyone's dying to play rugby. Everyone's dying, obviously. We're looking in a place at Jib where the weather's great. So, you know, try and get abroad, try and get some rugby played. It's a safe environment to go play rugby, mate. As I say, we've got no cases of COVID here. That was the Championship Club podcast with Michael Casey and Ben Gulliver. Check us out on social media at Champ Clubs Pod on Instagram and Twitter and subscribe and like our YouTube channel.